Welcome to another episode of Wondering Wednesday Podcast. This podcast is one in which Donna Reish of Character Inc. answers your questions about parenting, homeschooling, language arts, teaching, writing, grammar, and more. This week, I'm going to answer a question concerning kindergarten children. It's a question that I get asked every summer, and it is one that has come up a lot recently with our preschool presentations last month, as well as just from people writing in. I like to do it at least in the summer, but preferably even earlier in the spring, put some material out about this for those whose children go to school, especially, period. Delaying kindergarten was one of the best decisions that we have made for our children academically, even regardless of the fact that they were homeschooled. So because four to six-year-old children are the very, very best children in the world, and because I absolutely adore kindergarten students, I bring you What Should I Do with a Kindergartner? My first pieces of advice concerning a kindergarten student have to do with behaviors. And that is to consider their behavior first. We have a tendency, the minute a child turns a certain age in which there is a benchmark associated with it, to hone in on that benchmark, whether that is driving at 16 or pottying at 2 or 3, attending kindergarten at first at, at age 5, or whatever that might be. If you have heard us speak much or read much of the Character Inc. blog, Raising Kids with Character, and so forth, then you have heard us talk about how unimportant the numbers really are in various benchmarks in our children's lives. Benchmarks in our children's lives should be based upon their responsibility, upon their behavior, not upon a certain magic number in terms of age or even in terms of Traditions, such as what we did with your brother or sister before, is exactly what we will do with you at the exact same age. Using the benchmarks in the child's own life to determine readiness for going to school, learning to read, pottying, driving, voting, going to college, whatever those uh, magic... um, milestones might be is really a biblical concept in which we combine responsibility and maturity with those benchmarks. So as opposed to saying you're 16, you're going to drive, we base the child's ability to begin driving upon the child's own behavior putting the child in the driver's seat, so to speak. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to kindergarten. And considering behaviors and maturation before we even consider academics is a step in the right direction for ensuring our child's lifelong school success. I've mentioned Malcolm Gladwell's research um, in Outliers, David and Goliath, Tipping Point, and so forth on this blog before as well as in the podcast episodes and uh, one chapter in um, Outliers 
is completely filled with research about children who were delayed in going to school or whose birthday fell in a certain spot in the calendar year, which forced them to be a certain age when they started to go to school, i.e. children who missed the cutoff because they turned five in September and the cutoff was August, or they turned five in July and the cutoff was June, whatever it might be. At any rate, those children who missed the cutoff just so happened to be nearly six years old when they went to kindergarten the next year. And his research is phenomenal on the effect of children's lifelong academic success, that is success in school, but also earning potential over their lifetime. It's just really amazing that so many things that were taught in teacher's college to me as a young education major, elementary education for my minor and reading specialist, uh, my master's work, as well as the very beginning research from Dr. Raymond Moore and even to a lesser extent John Holt in terms of readiness. But Dr. Raymond Moore in his book, Better Late Than Early and School Can Wait, Homegrown Kids and so on. But all of those research elements that those people with homeschooling brought together, as well as with what I learned in teacher's college when, as far as uh, Piaget's theories of development and when children are ready for abstract learning uh, versus more concrete, when they're learning, when they're prepared or ready for formal instruction versus informal instruction, all of that comes together in Malcolm Gladwell's research in Outliers to prove not just what the child is doing by third grade and then again by sixth grade when they are the oldest child in their grade, but also what happens to that child in terms of lifelong academic success and even potential careers and earning power. So it's just super interesting to me that, of course, you know, we all like it when something that we hold dearly is proven to be true, but it's just interesting how Gladwell brings that together to show with no homeschooling slant on it and no real pressure to to try to, you know, get parents to do one thing or the other, just laying it out there. This is what happens when your child is the oldest child in the grade. So anyway, um, with kindergarten, I always like to consider the behavior first. Readiness to learn formally is more than just academic readiness. Um, we used to have a joke in our family that if somebody could skip or hop, you know, wow, you're ready for kindergarten is what we always told them. If they were, It was just a funny thing we said if the kids were at a playground or a park and they were skipping. We would say, hey, you're ready for kindergarten. And, and they knew that that was our joke, that one of the benchmarks for readiness for kindergarten, at least many, many years ago, was um, skipping and hopping. But... Um, it's more than just academic readiness, much, much more. And even if you're going to be homeschooling, it's still more than academic readiness. Behavior problems of the preschool days will get carried into schoolwork. They will not go away. Having a school schedule does help behavior some, but it will not solve them entirely. The trouble you might be having getting teeth brushed, coming to breakfast, etc., will only be exasperated by adding come to the school table, do seat work, or listen. So definitely don't try to 
um, solve behavior problems by adding school to the mix. Solve behavior issues first. I have a list of tips and links here. Um, many of these are links to um, our blog posts. First of all, I have dozens of preschool posts that apply to the four to six-year-old age range in general. Um, I probably write and speak more about this particular age range than any other one age group, um, in part because of my great love for them, um, and just simply because of my desire to protect this age group so much. Uh, to protect them from unrealistic expectations that can cause a lot of strife in the home when the four to six year old is has when we have these expectations for that age group also but even more importantly academic expectations for a child who is not ready to meet those expectations and what that does to the parent child relationship as well as what it does to the child's outlook on himself as a learner as well as to the homeschool experience um, for homeschoolers. And the parents even look at themselves as failures because the child's not ready and they don't realize that just another year, another two years, all of this would happen much easier than it is in the situation you're now in trying to push it. And so um, this is a, a very dear age group to me. So uh, these preschool po posts apply to the four to six-year-old age range and run the gamut from morning routines to story time to bringing in behavior boundaries. So um, you can click on that link. Then I have some specific posts about uh, lack of cooperation, obedience, and so forth. And uh, then I have many posts about the morning routines. Personally, if you've heard me speak or heard some of the podcast episodes that I've done about uh, becoming an a, um, efficiency expert and also both in a lot of the posts about um, home management and homeschool helps for moms and so on and so forth, scheduling, um, prioritizing, and organizing, uh, you may have heard me say that Personally, I fix the first hour of the day whenever I see a problem. I go back and I examine my first hour and I fix that first hour. Um, once I fix that first hour, then other things, A, are easier to fix, and B, sometimes just work themselves out simply because I fixed the first hour. And the same thing is true of preschool, kindergarten, early elementary children. Uh, that is that getting the morning routine down pat for this age group will help him learn cooperation in other areas of the day and will make the day run so much smoother. I do want to add, uh, just in case I don't have this, which I probably do, but just in case I don't, I want to add this uh, verbally, that what time the morning routine happens is of zero importance. A lot of times moms, in trying to set up schedules, for school schedules for uh, their children, <clears throat> schedules for themselves, if it can't happen at this time, all the time, then this failure mentality comes over the mom. And then, of course, you know, everything kind of goes to pieces there. Uh, but the morning routine, the time of the morning routine doesn't matter. Even from day to day, the time of the morning routine doesn't matter. I like to say that we have done the exact same thing for 25 years in our home every morning 
except for Christmas. You know, that's probably a bit of a stretch, but my point is that year-round, day in and day out, for 25 years, we did the exact same thing for the first hour of the day or the first two hours of the day. And that was morning routines, morning chores, breakfast, breakfast cleanup, devotions. You know, we had this whole this whole thing that we always did, and it didn't change because it was July or, or um, get better because it was September. It was just how we lived. And the one reason why it was so successful for us is because it didn't matter to me whether that was happening at 6.30 or 7, because we had that was our schedule in our life at that moment, or at 9 o'clock because I had a new baby. It didn't, it didn't make any difference to me when that morning routine took place. It also didn't make any difference to me if it was 7 today and 9 tomorrow. And so the, the real success in the morning routine is the consistency of doing it day in and day out for 25 years, day in and day out, the same routine, the, the, um, the fact that the child knows what is going to take place, that consistency, that uh, repetition is, is important. And when we try to instead alter that based on timing and, oh, well, you know, I didn't start at seven. I did it again. I ruined everything. You didn't ruin anything. Just start it whenever you start it and don't be concerned about the clock. Um, I've also talked about acceptable and unacceptable behaviors, um, specifically in a blog post that I've recently done about the four D's and the differences between the four D's and, uh, childishness or character issues. And so that's another thing that I think should really be considered in looking at what you want to do with a kindergarten child. And then um, also behavior absolutes. Hopefully before kindergarten, these things have been established in your home. Uh, you can, If you have babies and toddlers, look up some of my baby and toddler information because the behavior absolutes really start at 12, 14 months when you know, a child starts striking, you know, mom in the face, just slapping or jerking on necklaces or at 18 months saying no, those type of things. That's when these behavior absolutes are really established in your home. So those are some things that, um, behavior wise, I think that it is very wise to consider in this four to six year old range in this determining what you're going to do in kindergarten. Then moving from behavior, I have just some general expectations, which of course includes some of those things um, also. The first one is obedience. Again, I've talked about that. We can't expect children to do schoolwork if they will not um, make their beds, brush their teeth, come when they're called, etc. For us, obedience was always a prerequisite to book work. And... Um, as I say at the blog, school is so much better with a six-year-old in kindergarten who obeys than it is with a five-year-old in kindergarten who doesn't obey. Morning routine, again, the simple morning routine chart, whether that is a complete chart with each little picture of what he's supposed to do and then a reporting back to you in between times, or whether that's a simple pie, room, groom, dress, mess. Uh, you can look that up on the blog too. Once we develop the morning routine, we add the chore charts, the chore schedule, 
Uh, and um, again, we have a tendency to think that these things are are something that you do, you know, in addition to school or maybe later on or maybe kind of optional. But what we have found is that these things set the framework. They set the, ba- they set the foundation for the child's kindergarten. They set the foundation for having a good year with a five-year-old. Um, I also talk a lot on the um, blog about room time. And uh, I really want to encourage you with your five-year-old, if you haven't established any room time be, uh times in your home, routines in your home, to set that up, even though uh, your child is five and maybe you didn't do it when he was two or three or whatever, because room time is really, it could really be relabeled or retitled uh, focus time. And it the educational benefits of room time are just vast and especially for a child who needs to learn focusing skills. And so um, just look up those uh, posts there about room time also. Um, We always had the children join us in preschool and kindergarten for different aspects of our unit studies together. Uh, You can look this up on the blog also as um, uh, the bus stop approach. Uh, in which a child would join us, and then when the information would become hard or um, dis, you know uninteresting to the child, then that child would be dropped off, and he could go do room time or go play or whatever, uh, depending on how you set up your school day. Um, but we always had the child join us for Bible time uh, in the mornings after chores. And uh, the, the trickle-down effect, if, you, if your five-year-old is not your first child and you are doing stuff with the older children and to have that child join you for things, whether it's read aloud or discussions or whatever it might be, um, Bible time, those things, the trickle-down effect is absolutely phenomenon, phenomenal. And don't you know think that your child can't comprehend things. Because even though you're not teaching to the five-year-old, you're not teaching to the kindergarten child, he can get so many things from um, your time that he joins you. Uh, I like to tell the story when I'm teaching about toddlers and preschoolers specifically about the time that our Jonathan, who is our fifth child, when he was two, and I was doing unit studies with the oldest children, and um, we always read aloud from different things, and then I would assign them different books and projects and, and so forth on their own. And we were reading about um, the thinker and, you know, the pose of the thinker. We had some pictures there of the thinker and, and um, just discussing that, and then we moved on, and he was there. Usually what we did was the with the bus stop approach, the children – stayed for what I wanted them to stay for and then they could leave or we sent them to room time or they could stay and play quietly and Jonathan was always super curious super inquisitive and could listen for forever and ever and ever so he always wanted to stay and they could play with Legos and they could be in the same room with us and I I really encouraged them to just to play in color and and so forth but be with us um, because of that trickle-down effect and so he was always there and um, so a couple days later 
Joshua, who would have been like 14 at the time, uh, was sitting with his hand on his forehead, kind of hunched over. And uh, Jonathan said, two years old, look, mommy, look, mommy, the thinker, thinker, Joshua's the thinker. So um, never underestimate the power of the trickle-down effect. We like to tease him about that today. And um, he was super observant. And some auditory learners really can be at very young ages. So consider that with your four, five, and six-year-old also. Then informal learning time. Once we have those six things established, those six prerequisites, so to speak, um, obedience, morning routine, chores, room time, and Bible time. Then we had informal learning time. Now, I'm in the middle right now actually of writing a Letters and Sounds preschool program. And um, it's kind of funny for me because I'm a natural preschool teacher, meaning that uh, we had an adage that we would never teach a young child anything formally that could be taught informally. And so I didn't use a lot of of the things that the very things that I'm writing and creating, I didn't use a lot of those with my preschoolers and kindergartners because I wanted them to learn it easily and naturally as opposed to starting book work so early. But that's not really the trend nowadays. And so if I can write materials that make it easier for families, uh, make it better for children than other materials that I don't like, then that's, that's better. Um, anyway, so, but with informal learning time, uh, with pre, when it came to pre-reading, pre-math skills, we were always ones to teach while we are in the way with them, so to speak. So rhyming words, uh, initial consonant sounds, ending consonant sounds, letter recognition, uh, beginning math concepts, uh, all those things we taught informally. We used picture books, puzzles, games, manipulatives, audios, videos, computer games, felt activities, toys, blocks, anything. Um, but I recommend that you just build informal learning time into your kindergartner's day, either through room time activities. And I have, at, when the, at the room time links, I have also lists of materials that are good to have for room time and to only get out during room time. And, um, or whether it's learning centers or table time where you set up activities for him, but have these informal learning times built in, especially I think nowadays, because like my children were, we didn't have television and they were allowed to watch movies on a, on a, on a TV that just was hooked up to a DVD player. Um, but only you know, with permission in the evenings and weekends. And even then we were so, so limited in it. Uh, we usually had a five hour a week rule. So that's just not, not very much time at all um, compared to today. And so today with so many different things vying for their attention, I think you'll actually probably need to, to formalize informal learning time. And I know that sounds like a, a you know, kind of oxymoronic, but that you would need to, you know, set it up and say, okay, it's, it's learning time or it's hands-on learning time or it's table time or it's room time, whatever you want to call it, and set up the child's informal learning experiences for him to be sure that they happen. Because nowadays um, we are so screen bombarded that we don't let those hands-on, you know, putting this ABC puzzle together, lacing these lacing cards, these type of things. We don't let those things happen as much 
and they don't happen as as much naturally as they uh, maybe did in days gone by when we weren't so bombarded with media. Um, and then finally, formal learning. So, you know, we have these six, uh, seven things now, six things in place, and then we've added informal learning. And then, um, then you can add formal learning. Um, I do have some podcast episodes. One is what to do while you're waiting for readiness. This is a really good one for this age group because um, it describes what reading readiness looks like and what it doesn't look like. And then it describes the best things to do while you wait to build this learning environment and this reading readiness environment. Um, so, you know, if you're five, six, seven year old, your non-readers uh, have the, you have the first six things above all set for them. Um, then you then you can start on more formal and learn instruction if he or she is ready. Um, I recommended some of the colorful kindergarten workbooks that are available through Timberdoodle. Um, I would be careful. First of all, if your kindergarten student is ready to learn to read, I wouldn't try to say to get a complete kindergarten or first grade curriculum to do this because usually when you get a complete kindergarten or first grade curriculum that involves learning to read. It's like part one is in kindergarten, part two is in first grade, part three is in second grade. And they assume in a lot of times in those programs that you're going to take three to five years for your child to learn to read. When if your child is really ready to learn to read, it should take three to five months, not three to five years for him to learn to read. So, um, uh, if you want to get a kindergarten curriculum and you do get a complete kindergarten curriculum, I'd be careful about the, the reading instruction that's usually involved in there. A lot of times, um, even Timberdoodles will have like, uh, teach a child to read in 100 easy lessons and it'll have the first Bob readers included in it. And personally, I would say once your child's ready to learn to read, just Go through the book and teach him to read and use the readers and go right through. Don't worry about spreading it all out over kindergarten, first and second grade, like many programs, uh, complete uh, curriculums have you do. Like if you buy, you know, a Becca complete curriculum or Bob Jones complete curriculum or, or whatever, and not necessarily picking on those. I'm just saying like a complete all-in-one kindergarten curriculum. It'll have the reading instructions set up to take place over a long period of time. Um but uh, also at the blog, look up reading reviews, reading program reviews. I have reviews on Phonics Tutor, um, Saxon Reading, and many, many readers for the kindergarten and first grade and second grade child. So look that up. Um, but if he is ready to learn to read, go ahead and get started with a good reading program. And I have tons of information about that at the blog. Um, if you do want to get an entire kindergarten program, I still don't recommend getting a textbook driven approach, um, because children are by nature doers and they're very hands-on. And, um, I think if we truly do look at, you know, even Piaget's theory of development, not even considering, you know, modern, um, research, but, but, you know, long-term research that has been proven through the years that that seven to 10 
year old age range is when this starts to all come together. And some even say as late as 11 or 12, um, but, but definitely usually not five or six. And so, um, get some hands-on programs like Timberdoodle has to offer, um, uh, make kindergarten fun, colorful math programs with manipulatives like Matthew C or Saxon Kindergarten. When you're doing calendars and you're doing thermometers and you're doing counting blocks and, and so forth, uh, five in a row is just a beautiful um, kindergarten and first grade program in which you do something that children love every day anyway, reading stories. Um, so my recommendation academically is to be sure that these first six benchmarks are in place and then look for readiness. Again, check out some of the older um, podcasts, the one about waiting for readiness in your child to learn to read. I really, really hope you'll listen to that if you have this four to seven-year-old child. And um, then if you do want to get a kindergarten program, get make it as fun, as interesting, as hands-on, as bright as you can possibly make it. Not only because the child might not be ready at five or six to do many of the book work programs, but also because you are trying to establish a lifelong love of learning. And uh, the worst thing that you can do is have a kindergartner who gets a kindergarten program and by midway through kindergarten says, I hate school. And then suddenly you have at age five, a child who now has to look at 12 years of what he thinks already is drudgery. So be sure that, that the kindergarten year is handled with a lot of fun, a lot of interest, a lot of discernment in behaviors and readiness, and a lot of routine built in so that he gets those disciplines in his life that are really needed for lifelong learning and also a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me, Donna Reish, on another episode of Wondering Wednesday. I hope that you will check out our other podcast episodes on freezer cooking, babies and toddlers, preschoolers, kindergartners, and much more that you'll check out the blog. Uh, also, a lot of information at the blog about teens and even college kids. We have um, four in college this fall out of our seven. So um, yeah, we have a lot to say about that. <laughs> and then also that maybe you would schedule a Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar in your area. That is our non-homeschool specific seminar that is just Christian parenting for your church, your Sunday school class, your small group, your homeschool support group, um, whatever that might be. And uh, check out some of my language arts books, too. I have 40 of them. So Meaningful Composition for Writing and CQLA, Character Quality Language Arts for Grammar. Thanks a lot for joining us.